want to take a moment and just thank all of our musicians today and accompanists and uh, everyone involved in the handbells and all the special music this morning. What a tremendous blessing uh, this has been and uh, thoroughly enjoyed uh, this time of music ministry today and very thankful for all who were willing to use their gifts to participate in this manner. Also, I uh, just would like to take a moment, if you would, to uh, draw your attention to the beautiful poinsettias here on the front of the stage. Uh, in your weekly this week, there is a, a white sheet that actually uh, shows uh, each of the poinsettias uh, and who they're dedicated to. And uh, as we think about the names on that sheet, perhaps just to take a moment and to reflect and to remember the good gifts that God places in our lives, in relationships, those who help us grow, those who took our hands and led us uh, in our spiritual journey here on earth and our walk with the Lord. Uh, each of these poinsettias given in precious memory uh, of one of those lives. And so as we reflect on the scripture memory verse for this month in front of us again in silence today. Next week we'll say it out loud. Perhaps we'll also take a moment to reflect on the many lives that are represented here on stage. Thank you. We continue in our Advent series today as we're reflecting on many of the important qualities that go along with this time of year, looking at the quality of joy. And Casey and our children's ministries team have been helping our volunteers and our children think about joy this holiday season. If you haven't been downstairs lately, you've probably missed this bulletin board that is in the wing of our children's ministry, it says, what brings you joy? And you may be able to see some of the things written on that uh, big word joy. Right in the middle, front and center in that O, is the word cake. <laughs> Beautiful. Yes, priorities, somebody said. Perhaps you would maybe uh, take a moment and on your note sheet for this week, maybe you would participate in this habit of reflecting on something that brings you joy. Maybe you could take a moment and add your own contribution to that list. There is much to rejoice in and much to be thankful for this time of year. Through our Advent series, we have been reflecting on the text of Isaiah chapters 7 through 9. And in our first week together, a few weeks back, we met King Ahaz, who happened to be at a point of turmoil in his very fresh and new leadership in Judah. It's a time when Israel and Judah are divided. The northern kingdom, Israel, has began to plot with the nation of Syria to march on and conquer Judah, specifically the city of Jerusalem. King Ahaz of Judah is young. He is scared. He is uncertain. Week one, 
together in our Advent series left us looking through God's words to Ahaz for reasons that Ahaz could cling to hope in spite of the difficult circumstances he found himself in. Then last week, the tides of conflict continued to rise. King Ahaz had chosen the ways of war and death over the ways of peace, which God had promised were Ahaz and the people of Judah to remain faithful. In conspiring with the Assyrian military leaders, King Ahaz would watch as his near enemies were demolished by the Assyrian forces, only to then be told that those same forces would soon turn on and devour the city of Jerusalem and the people of Judah. Peace was available. God was with Ahaz, but Ahaz was neither listening nor was he paying attention. Today, we are going to prospect the first 18 verses of chapter 8, looking for golden nuggets of joy. And we might fairly ask the question this morning, joy, how could there be joy in the rising tide of turmoil and conflict that King Ahaz and his people were facing? And perhaps we'd take hold of that thread and pull it into the context of our own lives, asking a similar question. Joy, how can I face joy this season with all that I am currently facing, experiencing, and walking through? We live busy lives, do we not? Full and busy lives. We are often overwhelmed. Overstimulated, exhausted, worn out. Some of us from all of this grow short-tempered. Anybody have nicknamed the Grinch this time of year? Used to be the joke in our house. Seemed like every year there was a new Grinch. We're short-tempered, we're angry, we're impatient. Joy? Where's joy? Just as hope and peace are qualities that are always present and available to the follower of Jesus, so too does joy extend its hand through the busyness and through the chaos waters of life's adversity and say to us, here I am, take my hand, do not fear, I will help you. And recognizing the hand of comfort in times that feel joyless can turn our mourning into dancing. As Ahaz faced the prospect of a joyless future for his people, the bells, the tones, and the chimes of enduring joy remained available to him. And for the followers of Jesus gathered today, this joy remains for us as well. And as we accompany the text this morning, we are going to explore and uncover five enduring reasons for abiding joy. Reasons that can carry us through the turbulence of life's roughest waters. If you have your Bibles, you want to take them now or turn them on. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 1 to 10 is where we are going to start. We are going to examine verses 1 to 18 And before we read, let's take time and pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. This is an important time of our week. It is a corporate time. We've gathered together online in the building and we come together expectantly because you have promised that through your word you help us grow, you help us change, you help us learn. Father, today we want to reflect on joy in the text that we're studying and we could all afford to grow in joy. Our lives get busy, they get chaotic, they get hectic. There is always one more thing to do, Lord. Always one more thing that we wish we could get involved with. One more item to check off our list. And in the hustle and bustle of life, we often lose our joy. Sometimes, Lord, we miss out on the joy that's all around us. So, Father, we need this time. We need to be reminded that even as Ahaz faced incredibly difficult circumstances, joy was still available to him. Ahaz missed it. We do not want to. So help us, Lord, learn from the text today. Form us, shape us, renew our minds, guide our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verses 1 to 10. Then the Lord said to me, take a large tablet and write on it in common characters. Belonging to Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again. Because his people have refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin, the son of Remaliah. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck and the outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land. Oh, Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. 
speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. In chapter 8, the Lord is turning his attention to Isaiah. Isaiah's name literally means the Lord delivers. And how ironic that God would speak to King Ahaz, a man who's watching his empire fade as nations gather around him to wage war against him, a man who is cornered. God is speaking to him through a man whose name literally means the Lord delivers. The promise of deliverance standing before King Ahaz, and he missed it. Through much of the Old Testament, names have significant meanings. Sometimes they're related to events in a character's lives. Other times they're aimed at a particular theme within their narrative. Still other names are directly foreshadowing God's future work. God wants Isaiah to write a public warning for King Ahaz. A sentence. We won't say it together. Maher shalal hashbaz. You could try to say it in your mind five times fast. The name means speed to the plunder, hurry to the spoil. Witnesses are then summoned to certify the message. One of the witnesses' names is Uriah. God is light. Another of the witnesses' names is Zechariah. God remembers. And carrying within both of their names is the very hope of the Advent season. That God is light and that God remembers. Then Isaiah and his wife, who is a prophetess, they conceive and deliver another son given as a sign. New life, hope, war is at the doorstep of Judah. And isn't it interesting that throughout this narrative, God keeps bringing children to King Ahaz as signs and symbols that God is not sleeping, he's not slumbering, he's at work, he is doing things. And Ahaz, so distracted, so consumed by his enemies that he continues to miss out on the joy of life that God is setting before him. And friends, the patterns of Ahaz's life can sometimes be mirrored in our own lives. Lives that become so hectic and so chaotic that we too can miss out on the joy of life and God's activity all around, within, and through us. We pay attention to so much, we pay attention to the wrong things, or we pay attention to little, if anything at all. And sometimes we neglect to realize that what we give our attention to is important and can often rob us of or contribute to our inner joy. God is at work. 
He's moving. He's active all around us. Life is pulsating all around us. Are we paying attention? Or do we see the evidence of his work as messy, inconvenient, too difficult to face, to touch, to sit, or to soak in? You might imagine that occasionally our home gets a little disheveled. Just occasionally. And every once in a while, somebody comes unannounced. Imagine how thrilled we are. <laughs> Seven children running around, like, like the kid from Home Alone. And I remember one particular time, I don't remember who it was, and I wouldn't say their names to embarrass them. Someone stopped by unannounced. <laughs> Things were a mess. And we opened the door, and as they came into the house, we invited them to come in. Um, by the way, if you do drop in unannounced, whatever is going on in the house, you get to come in and put an end to. <laughs> we step away and say, oh, good, you're here. And then we go out for breakfast, Sheila and I, or lunch, or whatever time of day it is. <laughs> they came into the house, and we opened the door, and of course, things were laying around everywhere, and we immediately began profusely apologizing for the way that the house looked, as any of us would. We're in the same situation, and I wouldn't forget what the person said. They looked around, and they said, no worries. There is evidence of life all over this space. Yeah, life gets messy and disheveled and out of place, and there is joy available in it. The signs of life that God was surrounding Ahaz with, these children, they were not enough to convince him that God's ways would be effective against Judah's enemies. Do you remember the first child? His name was Shear Jashub, and he was given to convince Ahaz that a remnant would return. And now we have Maher Shalal Hashbaz given as a warning. Both signs of life, reasons for joy. And both would come to represent a greater image of God's renewal and restoration, not just for Judah, but for all the world. Unfortunately, for King Ahaz and the people he was representing, his scheming with the Assyrians, first would work towards his benefit, right? His scheming would work for him in the beginning. The Assyrians would come and they would take over Israel and they would defeat Syria. But then they would turn against and steal the joy of his people. Very soon, Judah would be devoured by the same false friends that had devoured her enemies. Might we be brave enough to consider that sometimes, like the people of Judah, we too reject the sources of joy that God 
provides for us. Now, let's not pretend that crazy, busy homes are always wonderful places of joy. Like, oh, this is so wonderful. As the Christmas tree begins to burn. (laughs) But to recognize the character of our life overall and overwhelmingly should be joy. Because the great gift of joy abides and lives within us, is alive and active through us, and is always able to give and produce joy. Ahaz missed so much. There were gentle waters available to Ahaz, and he missed those as well. Look again. At verse 5, the Lord spoke to me again. These people have rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and melt in fear over Raisin, the son of Remaliah. So look, the Lord is bringing up against them the turbulent and mighty waters of the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria and all of his majestic power. The second enduring reason for abiding joy is one that is closely related to our text from last week where we explored the concept of peace, the reality that gentle waters are available. And so often we choose turbulence and haste. Now we might not be surprised by this. Maybe we are. At a very young age, many of us are taught to memorize Psalm 23. The second verse of Psalm 23 says this, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside what? Still or quiet waters. He restores our souls along these waters. But what happens when the people, when his people reject his wisdom and his guidance and his leadership? In Ahaz's day, Shiloh gently carried water from the Gihon Spring, which was outside of the city of Jerusalem, and it brought the water from outside Jerusalem's walls into its walls to various locations throughout the city. It was gently flowing. Rejection of the gentle waters of God's ways for Ahaz meant the rising and chaotic tide of oppression that would come to be revealed when the Assyrian armies arrived in Jerusalem. The majesty of the great shepherd was not enough for King Ahaz. Instead, he chased after the majesty of the fast and powerful Assyrian legions. Again, he's focused on the wrong things. The water terminology continues in verse 8. Assyria will spill into Judah, flooding and engulfing as it reaches to the necks of its victims. He will spread out over your entire land. Oh, Emmanuel. And while Israel and Syria would be totally swept away by the Assyrian current, because of God's mercy, a remnant of Judah would be able to keep its necks above the Assyrian flood. 
friends, when life seems full and overflowing, when we are drowning or feel as though we can't keep our necks above the raging waters, an enduring reason for abiding joys and recognizing in those moments that gentler waters are available. And it is these very waters that God intends to lead and guide us along. Sometimes we have to ask the question and take inventory of the things that are creating chaos in our lives. And so very often the inventory of those things must begin with what is existing within our own hearts and our own minds. Last week, we talked about identifying voices in our lives that are detracting from peace. This week, we might add to the voices, behaviors, or habits, or addictions that are robbing or stealing away our joy. What are we so consumed with that's burdening us so much, that's causing us so much chaos and consternation and bringing so much turbulence into our lives that we can't in that moment see the gentle waters and the joy that's available to us in Christ Jesus. What are those things in our lives? Are we brave enough to identify them, to write them down, to give them a name and then to keep them before us so that we can avoid them Perhaps turn them off, put them away, maybe change the way that we participate or the posture in which we participate in some of those activities and behaviors. The people of Judah, they rejected God's ways. They chose war, hostility, turbulence, haste over peace and the gentle waters available. And God, in his steadfast and loyal love, would remain present and attentive anyway. This is verses 9 and 10. A recurring theme in chapters 7 and 8 thus far has been the phrase, pay attention. Has anybody else ever told that a lot when they were young? I felt like I was told that all the time. Felt like by more than just my parents, like every educator I ever had, and even sometimes in the administrator's offices. <laughs> Seemed to hurt a lot more in those offices, for whatever reason. Ahaz is told to pay attention. The Davidic line is called to pay attention. Now the nations are called to attention. Ahaz had the alliance and the war that he wanted. Assyria had obliterated both Syria and Israel, and yet they too, Assyria too, would one day be shattered and broken. God says in verses 9 and 10, go ahead, nations, including Assyria, go ahead and get ready for battle. You will not prevail. Your plans will be thwarted. Your orders will not be executed. Temporarily, yes, they were victorious. Their victory would be short-lived. 
The Assyrian reign would have a beginning and an end. When we go back through history, the Assyrian reign has a beginning and an end. For there is only one ruler, the one defined as the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end, who has no beginning and has no end. The people would be taken into captivity. And still... Even in their captivity, the people could find reason to rejoice. Why? How? How? The clue again, or a clue again, can be revealed in the 23rd Psalm. As God shepherds his people, even in captivity, you prepare a feast before me in plain sight of who? My enemies. Not our friends, not our families, not the people we enjoy spending time with. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. A banqueting table in the presence of our enemies. Israel would be in captivity and they could still rejoice. A banqueting table in the presence of their enemies. Good food, abundant company, a feast. Who doesn't like a feast? Heads refreshed with oil. Oil in the Bible always symbolic of joy. Overflowing. Abiding joy. In the presence of our enemies, how and why, as Isaiah prophesies at the end of verse 10 in chapter 8, why is there reason for joy even in captivity? What does it say at the end of verse 10? For God is with us. Rejoice! God is with us. And this is, friends, the proclamation of Christmas. It's why we celebrate this season. It's why we gather year after year to remind ourselves. And this truth should set us free. It should free us from anxiety, from worry, from fear, from joylessness. My grammar. Emmanuel, God with us. Trouble, trial, hardship, they're present. They're here now for many of us. And if they're not, for some of us, if we're sitting here and we're saying, I feel pretty good. I don't know about you. Everything's pretty good in my life. Well, I hate to break it to you. It's coming. And... A banqueting table has been prepared. This is where we are, friends, right here. We, the church, surround Christ, who is our banqueting table. And when we feast on him, we're feasting in the presence of our enemies.
and we can rejoice and be glad. Jesus is enough. Amen? And feasting on Christ is far better than any turkey or ham you could ever feast on this Christmas season. It'll sustain you a lot longer. It sustains me. Joy available, enough for every moment. God is with us. And now the message of the prophet turns our attention to the way that God can be present for us and a specific fruit that is produced when we remain aware of his steadfast presence in our lives. We're going to discover these things in verses 11 to 18 where we'll now turn our attention. Verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the ways of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy, Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. As we grow concerned, as we grow worried or anxious about the approach or the encroach of enemies, God has a word for us, and his word might catch us a bit off guard. Prepare. This place is a place where God is speaking with force. He's not wavering in his words. Verse 11, do not act like these people. Do not say conspiracy every time the people who you live with say Conspiracy. Do not be afraid of what scares them. Don't be terrified. I've heard a lot about conspiracies over the last five years. Both from outside and from within. And this reminds us, there is a far higher power and a far greater authority. One who rules and reigns over the voices of those crying conspiracy, conspiracy, real or imagined in this world. God says in verse 13, this is the authority. His authority is the authority we are to prioritize 
we are to pay attention to those who fear God and live from within that fear, that awestruck wonder, find sanctuary. My mind goes to Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is like a strong tower. The righteous person runs into it and is set safely on high. And we can be reminded, friends, that when fear threatens to rob us of our joy, good news, God, our strong tower, is available to us. Run to him. Find shelter in his walls, peace, security, and rest from whatever haunts our hearts and minds. Friends, this reality in, in, in our world is just that not everyone lives from the sure foundation of the fear of the Lord. Not everyone lives from this place. There are those who chase conspiracies, who fill their minds with the glory of the world, and to them, the strong tower is like a stumbling block. This was the nation. Then, and for some today, it's still a reality. Tripping through the darkness. Both houses of Israel, the northern and southern kingdoms, entrapped and ensnared by the very conspiracies they were glorying in. Have you ever considered that? getting tied up with that word conspiracy and chasing after conspiracies, instead of glorying in God, we actually start to glory in the conspiracies we're chasing after. That's the warning here. They begin to consume our thinking, consume our habits, consume our behaviors, consume the media that we consume. We begin to see conspiracy everywhere. And before we know it, it's the glory of the conspiracy over the glory of God. Rather than rejoicing in and glorifying God, the people of Judah were rejoicing in false alliances with and allegiances to the things of the world, namely the Assyrians. The Assyrians first became the joy of King Ahaz only to turn and rob him and his people of that joy. And friends, true joy, abiding joy, lasting joy comes when we are living out of the fear of the Lord and running to him as our strong tower when the things of this world threaten to divide and spoil a few years ago, I was talking to someone about this very thing, and they said, well, I'm a person of truth. I want to get to the truth. Friends, there's some truth we're not going to know, ever. The Bible is very clear about that. It says there's the glory of the Lord. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. And the wisdom of what? Fools to seek it out. Years and years ago, I was struggling with this. I was talking to a gentleman at my previous church about things I was wrestling with and reflecting on in the world around us, and I was struggling because I couldn't get enough knowledge and didn't know about this or that matter that was happening within this particular government 
instance or political instance. I don't even remember what it was. And I remember he looked at me and he said, Chris, why are you, why are you so anxious? He said, hasn't, hasn't the Lord in your life ever given you, hasn't he always given you everything you need for the moment that you're in? Whether that's knowledge or truth or whatever else. Wow. I've watched people be robbed of their joy as they've chased after things that matter very little in view of eternity. Years ago, I was sitting with one of my children in a cafe, and we were together with one of my mentors, and we were studying the Bible together. And I'll never forget, my mentor looked at him, and he'll remember this moment. He can tell you the story. And he said, young man, there is something very bright and beautiful inside of you. He was talking to my son. And with as clear eyes as I think I've ever seen someone look at another person, he stared right through him and he said, don't you let anyone ever rob you of your joy. My son can tell you about that moment till this day. It stuck with him. Church, friends, as we sit here today, what are those things in your life that have robbed you of your joy. Give them up. Turn them off. Put them down. Turn to Christ. Joy forever is found in Him. The truth remains, friends, that there is no thief who exists in this world who can break or wriggle through the walls of our strong tower. When we are hidden in Christ, nothing can get in and steal away the joy of those who are abiding in Him. There's humble, peaceable living within His steadfast and immovable walls. And this leads us to a final enduring reason for joy in any season of life today. From within our strong tower, we can joyfully live with confident hope. Together with the children given as signs, God leaves another piece of evidence for the people. In verse 16, he says, Tie up the scroll as legal evidence. Seal the official record of God's instructions and give it to my followers. His words are eternal and true. And though Isaiah couldn't see any visible evidence yet that God would deliver, redeem, and save his people, he could still wait patiently with confident hope that his deliverer was coming. Verse 17, I will wait patiently for the Lord who has rejected or hid his face from the family of Jacob. I will wait for him. Later, Isaiah would write these words. We know them well. But those who do what? Who wait for the Lord's help find renewed strength. They rise up as if they've had eagle's wings. They run without growing weary. They walk without getting tired. Great joy 
confident hope. Verse 18, here I am with the children the Lord has given me. They are reminders and object lessons in Israel sent from the Lord of heaven's armies. That's above the Assyrians' armies. The Lord who lives on Mount Zion. These same words would be attributed to Jesus by the writer of Hebrews. Do you remember Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13? Again, he says, I will be confident in him. Again, here I am with the children God has given me. German theologian Hans Dieschlich said the following about this. He said, quote, the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 13, quotes these words as the distinct words of Jesus because the spirit of Jesus was living in Isaiah. The spirit of Jesus, which is in the midst of this holy family, bound together as it was only by the bands of the shadow, pointing forward to that church of the New Testament, which would be bound together by the bands of the true substance. End quote. Friends, there is always reasons for joy in our lives. And when we're in a place where we're feeling joyous, joyless, when we're in a place where it seems like it's elusive, we don't recognize it, we don't see it, can we remember that the promise of new life has been given and is available for those who are in Christ There is a shepherd who leads us and intends to lead us by gentle waters. His steadfast presence is always with us, our strong tower, an impenetrable refuge, faithful and true to his word, so we can watch and wait patiently with confident hope for his next arrival. Practically, friends, for our community... There's more reasons for joy. In your weekly this week, you might have this document. If you have it, you want to take it out. This is one particularly small snapshot of the joy of what God's done within our community this year at CNBC. I wish that we could capture a full vignette of God's work over the years. But unfortunately, if we did that, we'd have a directory-sized document for you, perhaps one that we couldn't manage or keep up with. This is a small snippet of God's work in our community. And it is reason for great joy. It's evidence that God is alive, active, working through the people here at CNBC, through you, on multiple fronts, in multiple places, in many ways. None of what you see in this document, and we try to get this before you once a year, around this time of year, none of what you see in this document would at all be possible without your time, without the gift of your energy, and without your generosity. Friends, this is a vision a representation of how we participate together in Christ as a body here at CNBC. And I look forward to this document every year because when I reflect on it and I see all the numbers, every one of those numbers represent a life that has been touched or influenced, cared for, 
loved or served in some way by some member of this community. So if I could today, as our team comes, I want to pray. But before I do, I want to thank you for being a source of joy in my life. Because indeed you are. It is a joy to be part of this Christian community with you. It is a joy to be one of the leaders here at CNBC. It is a joy to serve with each and every one of you. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Lord, we don't want to miss out like Ahaz on the joy that you have placed in us in the person of Jesus. We have a secure and eternal future because you have been good and have sent your son into this world to do something that we couldn't do, to be perfect and blameless, to take our sins upon himself, to lay down his life, and then through your power to resurrect and rise again, defeating death. There's no greater joy than that. And Lord, all of us who have heard these words today can know that joy. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in our hearts that you have raised him from the dead. There is salvation. There is joy. We thank you for your spirit and the presence of your spirit. There's fullness of joy. Your spirit is here today. So as Christian community, we can come together and rejoice and be glad. We thank you for our musicians who help lead us in the spirit of joy each week as we sing and celebrate who you are. Father, I pray that we would be ever mindful of the joy available to us this holiday season and give you the glory and no one else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.